as we open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 3 in verses 20 through 21. I want to speak to you about something, and I just want to tell you up front that I try to take advantage when I come and visit your church here to try to say some things in a little bit more of an alarming way than your pastor has the ability to do. Uh, because he's got to live with you and pastor you each and every day and every week. But I get to come in and cause a disruption and a mess and leave and just leave my son to try to fix whatever disaster I left behind. It's just my way of getting back, to, back at him for all the things he's done to me when, I, when he was just a child. No, I really do want to become a little bit more evangelical than he can be. And actually, I have my pastor preaching for me right now at my home church. And he can do more evangelical things that I'm able to do with the same people that we see day in and day out. Are you okay with that? Great. Okay. Reading in the um, First Peter chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you on this thought, the purpose of building the ark. The purpose of building the ark. I'm trying to say the word ark like you do, but I am from Boston, and so I say it ark. Can you say ark? Yeah, that's how you say it. You don't say ark. We, the way we talk is the right way. The way you talk is the wrong way. You see, they came to Boston first, and they settled in Boston, and as they moved toward the south, things got slower, and your words got more drawn out. So from ark, you went to ark. <laughs> so in Boston, we park our car in Harvard Yard, and we, we do everything pretty much without the, the letter A and the letter R's, pretty much. And so thank you for tolerating my accent. I have no idea why I still have it. But it becomes more acute whenever I am uh, emotional, like happy, angry, sad, or nervous, or whatever it may be. If, you, like, like a, if you're driving really slow in front of me on the highway... My accent is very sharp. <laughs> and so I, 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 right now I'm pretty excited about preaching to you right now. And so you're going to hear a lot, of, a lot of Bostonian unless I settle down. I, you're going to have to just adjust your ears to it. So thank you in advance. This is a, a letter from Peter, the apostle. He was pretty much making a comparison. So this is not me doing this comparison. He was comparing the ark as the church being baptized by the flood. Amazing because the flood, well, was very much exactly like the first day of creation. The first day of creation, it was the entire earth covered by water with no land on it. It was one big water bubble, one big water ball. It's blue. So when we speak about our, our world, it's not really the earth. They should call it the water. So when the flood came... He brought us all the way back to the first day of creation, started all over again. The only difference was there was a boat on it, and that was called the ark, the ark that God had Noah build. 
speaking about this, which is very important to speak to you about, is that the baptism, though this is not the, this is not the gist of my sermon, the baptism was very important because it said in those scriptures, the like figure whereunto baptism does now also save us. Now, I'm not suggesting that unless a person is actually baptized, they're going to go to hell. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that it is a commandment. Like, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises unto you and to your children, and them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So there's a commandment coming out of the mouth of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. But also in the book of Matthew, chapter 28 and verse 19, where he, he commanded them to go about and baptize them uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this was a commandment that was sent abroad among the Christians, baptizing or cleansing uh, of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit so they can perfect holiness in the fear of God. So this baptism by the flood was amazing. This flood was coming from a canopy of water that is in our, in our uh, atmosphere uh, from condensation and whatever's up there as far as rain, and it came up from the ground where the platelets opened up and water gushed up and rain came, and, and it was just like the ultimate storm that covered the highest mountaintops. And only the people that were in the ark was chosen to be saved. And that was Noah and his wife, their three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and their three wives. That movie that you saw called Noah, there were so many errors in it. I do appreciate some of the scenes that were very real poignant in their delivery of the message. But like, for instance, the number of people in the ark, that was not correct. And there's no way you can hijack your way into the ark. That's like sneaking into heaven. That's not possible. That guy hiding in there, that was ridiculous. In those mountain rock guys that are walking around and they, they built the ark with them. There's actually a small sliver of truth if you read the book of Enoch where the Bible, well, I'm sorry, not the Bible, but the book of Enoch, if you've ever read that, suggests that the angels helped Noah build the ark. But even if they did or didn't, it took 120 years to build this ark. I used to preach when I was in my very early 20s uh, as an evangelist, like when I was 20 or 22 years old. I used to preach that the reason why it took 120 years to build the ark is because they had to wait for the slowest animal to get to the ark, and that was the snail. That it took 120 years for the snail to, to make it to the ark. And, you know, they're waiting and they're waiting. And the Bible says that God waited patiently. But really, I, I, have changed my, I have changed in my belief of why it took so long. I have read since then many commentaries that have suggested that the pitch or the mud that Noah used with his sons to, to put the logs together to make the ark actually was interwoven with reeds, kind of like palm tree leaves, things, reeds, in between. They, it was done in a process, almost like as if it was laid for a first coat, and they waited for that to dry and solidify, and then they laid another coat, and this was 100,000 square feet of ark. It was gigantic, 
And so because of this, I believe that was the reason why it took so long. There was no possibility at this point was anybody else going to come into the ark, and God saw that clearly, that only Noah found grace in the eyes of God. There's a whole theology on the reason why God was so angry with the whole world that he wiped everybody out, but that's just how God is. Whenever you're sinning, this is a little sidebar for somebody that needs this, whenever you're sinning a sin and you kind of excuse yourself by saying, well, everybody's doing it. What is God going to do, kill us all? Well, actually, he did. He wiped out the entire earth because everybody was doing it. I feel that in the last days, especially in the return of Jesus Christ, that there will be entire cities that will perish. Not a single person will survive in that city. I believe further, and I'm writing a book on this actually, the human beings that actually survive without being raptured on the earth. What happens to those human beings? I'm going to put that book out in this first quarter of this year, and I hope that maybe that is of some interest to you. Uh, but the however part is here that most people that think that the, because everybody's doing it, I think that entire, an entire nation has the capability of, of losing their soul, an entire country. So God has that severity, if you would, that the Bible uses as an example, had God destroyed a third of the angels that were in heaven because they rebelled against him. He has no problem killing the estimated 250 million people on the earth during the time of Noah's uh, 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 contemporaries and only save literally just one family. That just blows my living mind. Man does not have that ability to choose. No pastor can go, um, you're going to heaven, uh, you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. I'm trying to do this so I, you don't think I'm pointing to you. Oh my God, he pointed to me, I'm going to hell. But an entire rose can go to hell. As a matter of fact, this is so rampant. I, I pray all the time, Father, uh, if you could rapture every person that I pastor, I know that's ambitious in a prayer, but I still ask, Father, anybody that sits under my, 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 my shepherdhood, could you please save them, save them all. And, and I know that your pastor prays for you. He has a very disciplined prayer life as he sets an alarm every morning and he prays for you and, and for all the other things in his life, like his family and stuff. I, I want you to know that not everybody is going to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, I would believe that half of churches all around the world, in some, in some places, entire churches, will not make it to the rapture. I fear that. And, and I fear for the souls of people. And so that's what causes me to be as intense as I am right now. Some years ago, I was walking through the food court, and um, I was just hit with the realization of many people in the food court that did not know Jesus Christ, and I started weeping embarrassingly. I was so embarrassed, because I'm that guy that can go through um, a, a movie without crying. I'm the guy that can watch the dog being killed, and everybody is crying because that poor puppy got killed. I'm still standing there just watching it, and so I... I, I I didn't understand why all this water was coming out of my eyes. I was on a major leak problem that I couldn't stop, and I was moved with compassion for everybody that was in the food court. Fortunately, I had a pair of shades that I put on, nice big shades, the Ray-Ban kind of stuff, that you couldn't see what was going on under there, and I, I was just being used by God to intercede for the people. 
This has never happened since then, but I want you to know that there is a great need in the, in the mind of God to save everyone. It's not his will that any should perish, but everybody comes to re repentance. And so the, the ark was really a type and shadow of being immersed. Nobody should think that they got baptized if they were sprinkled on their forehead. This was my background when I was an altar boy. This is my background when I was going to be a Catholic priest. Uh, many, many years ago in Boston, St. Column Hills Church, I went eight years of Catholic school. I was going to be a priest until they told me what the word celibacy meant. Then I was out. <laughs> that, that, that's out. That's a deal breaker right there. <laughs> However, uh, back, in, back in those days, I, 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 always, I just always wanted to be in the ministry. Even when I was uh, running the streets and as a latchkey kid, I just wanted to be in the ministry. And I wasn't even surrounded by it with my friends. All my friends wanted to do something else. But deep down in my heart, I've always wanted to, to be a preacher. And I think that there's something different these days between some folks being saved and other folks being saved I don't know whether or not we're getting deep enough into the relationship with Jesus Christ as the scriptures bring out through baptism of immersion. Not the water baptism I'm speaking about right now, but physically, spiritually being so immersed in Jesus Christ as having a relationship with him. I was watching some of you worship God and it looks like you aren't even in, in, on earth anymore. It looks like you have already transcended earth and you're already raptured. Your, your, your relationship with Jesus Christ is commendable and I'm so thankful to see that here. Uh, and, and there's a lot to be said about that because he wants to go further than just co cognitive mental believing that there's a God. He wants to go to a place where you know God. He wants to go from the outside. He wants to go deeply within. It's kind of like what the Bible says in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, where it speaks about your experience, where it says, for the word of God is alive and active. The Bible is a, is a living organism, by the way. This is not just like any Bible, or I'm sorry, any book. This is a living, breathing organism. The Bible says it's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even inside we're talking about, right inside of you. It, it, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, right into the joints, right into the marrow, which is the center of your bones. It goes all the way in and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It deals with the inner person. This is the true walk with God, and this is what I pray for. This is what the immersion was all about, about this ark, being totally immersed with God. The Bible says that they were saved by water. I would have thought they were saved by the ark, but in reality, they were saved by the water because what did the water do? It cleansed the entire earth free from sin. There was no one on the earth left. Everybody died. Even animals died, and that's a whole other story with a whole other sermon. But there is a, an amazing thing that I want to break down for the reasons why the ark was actually built. And, and the, the primary reason is, is that when you come to this church, it should be very much like how people approach the ark. While Noah was up there building the ark, 
and all the sons are working the ark, and everybody's there doing their thing. As people of the town came up to Noah, they should have some conclusions drawn and some questions asked. Like, for instance, this is my first question. Hey, what's going on here? That's my first question as a New Yorker. That's just exactly how I would say it. What in the world is going on here? What are you guys doing? This is gigantic. My second question would be, is something bad coming? Are you getting ready to avoid something catastrophic? And the third thing would be, are you planning on going somewhere? Because it looks like you're packing, and it looks like you're arranging for the transportation. A church should be identical to that, to you and I, and yes, even to our visitors. Sometimes I think that we're overly sensitive to the feelings of our visitors. I believe that all men and women and visitors alike, I believe that they like the truth. They relish the truth. They want to hear it. I remember when I was preached to for the first time, I just wanted to know the truth. And when I found out the truth, I was very, very angry with everybody that didn't tell me the truth. Maybe you're like I am, that you kind of found out about this Holy Ghost and you found out about rapture. I never one time heard that word until I was in my 20s. What? what is, what's a rapture? What, what's, a, what's a taking away? How come they didn't tell me? Mom, you didn't tell me. What, what's the deal, priest? Tell me what, what happened, Monsignor. How come you didn't tell me eight years of Catholic school and you never told me about that? I was kind of ticked off at the beginning. So I believe that people want to know the truth. When they approach a church, they should have the same reaction as they do reacting to an ark being built. When you walk into a church, number one, everybody should have this, this uh, representation, if you would, of, or this sensitivity of, you look like you're going somewhere. You look like you're planning on leaving. There should be a constant theme of rapture, a constant theme that Jesus Christ is coming back again. That Jesus Christ is going to take you and your husband or wife, your mom and dad, your children, your grandchildren. There should be something like that. That there's a something about you that looks like this is a temporary place. That this world is not really your home. That you're, a, well, like the Bible says, you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. You're just passing through. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. There should be something about you like that. And then there needs to be the second thing that they reacted to at the ark. Looks like something bad is coming. There should be something about us that believes that Jesus Christ is coming back again. That there will be a terrible day of the Lord. That there will be a reckoning of sin. That there will be a flood, if you would. And everyone that is wicked and everyone that is evil will be, will be thrown in hell. Can I say that? Can you say that in 2015 anymore? Because that's exactly what I'm trying to say to you. We're all here, and I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure of it. I'm preaching to everyone, and I'm sure that this church, everybody here is going to go to heaven. Who am I to think any otherwise? But there are people that you know that are not. When they visit your church, we sometimes get so concerned to make our church appear not as an ark, but as a cruise liner, like a carnival cruise, like a Royal Caribbean Look at us on the unicycle. And we try to drag in all that music. I'm out of breath already and I didn't even do anything. And we try to drag in 
who shall change your vile body, okay? And dragging all of these things into a, trying to make some type of affinity with the world. The church has an affinity to bring the world into the church. It's always been here. It's always been like that. Right from the very start when Jesus Christ was ascended into heaven, we started right in on dragging worldly things. But the world has no affinity toward the church. The world does not want to have anything to do with the church. But we want to have everything to do with the world. So we think that this is what people want, to have a church that looks like the world. Which brings me to my second point. That God designed the ark personally. He designed the ark in so much that it would, list, it would, it would last for one year. That's all. 40, year, uh, 40 days and 40 nights of rain. But for the rest of the year, they would float until all the water went into the soil. And this design was made for only to last this one year because it was temporary. It was never meant to be on it forever. You were never meant to be pulling up to the port and going, hello, boop, boop, come on up. One more time around Cleveland. You know, it was never meant to do that. It only was meant to be temporary. And so it is your life here on this earth. You're only here temporarily. Your whole goal in life is to spend the short amount of time that you're alive here and and go for the remainder of your eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. The sad thing, though, is that we, we really try our hardest to try to appear to be somebody that we're not. We're really not the Royal Caribbean. We're not even good at it. We're not the carnival cruises that we try to be. We're not good at it. That's not what the church or an ark is supposed to be. We're supposed to look exactly like I'm about to say to you. It's kind of like six months ago. If you came to my house, you would have found boxes everywhere. We were moving. We had big wardrobe boxes, and we had small boxes, little boxes, and weird-looking boxes that the kids put too much stuff in there and, and taped it and made it look like a ball. But this is what our whole house looked like. We were moving, and we had hundreds of boxes that needed to be moved into storage until the house that we were going to move into was actually being built, as I'm talking to you. We had to move into a little motel for six weeks because the timing just wasn't there. They just dragged out the building. You know how that goes. I'm sure you have experienced that before. But all these boxes, when people came to our house, they said, hey, it looks like you're moving. Duh. I mean, you can't even walk around. (laughs) I mean, everything's gone. Everything's in boxes. That's how we should really depict our life. Your children should think like this. You know, I I, I find this hilarious. I say this only in fun. I don't mean to be serious, but in my church, just to show everybody sometimes how we're really not really ready or we don't even really want to be raptured is I ask all the young girls in our church, how many of you uh, would like to be married before the rapture? How many of you want the wedding first? Then the rapture can come. And pretty much most of the girls' hands are lifted up because that is their moment. That's, that's the big deal. They've been planning this since they were nine years old. They cut out uh, dresses and they put them in their scrapbook. They've even got the names of their kids picked out. I want the girls to know that guys don't think like this. We are thinking about something else, about how to blow something up or how to be a baseball player or a football player. 
the last thing we're doing is cutting out tuxedos that we want to get married in, <laughs> especially at nine years old. But there is a, I use that as a depiction to show that even though that is really funny, there really needs to be some type of temporary feeling about our life, this tentativeness about our life, that it's only really meant to be a small part of your eternity. And I, I think that we all should appear like we're moving. Another point I wanted to bring up is that when God had the ark built, he only had one door put in it. And this one door was not like Russell Crowe's door where he was opening it and closing it, shutting it and locking it. People were bombing into it and he was killing people. That's not how it happened at all. The Bible says that he had the entire family put into the ark seven days before the rains came. And then the Bible says that God shut the ark door himself. And this is very important because mankind doesn't have that ability to shut the door of salvation. That is not our place. Nor do we have the ability to keep that door shut because we are fickle as a human. We don't have that ability that if somebody's banging at the door, our next door neighbor that always lent us a cup of sugar, open the door, it's me and Harriet. My God, Noah, open this door. For, you know, it open, and of course, you would want to open it, but God is the righteous judge. God is the only one that can choose the people properly and righteously. So the Bible says that he closed the door. And what's, what's good news about this whole thing is, is that seven days before the rain is very, very uh, insightful for you and I to see that the wrath of God is not reserved for the people of God. So during the tribulation, I, I wanted you to hear my opinion that if there really is a seven-year tribulation, which is really up for argument, the first three and a half years, we will undertake a lot of, seeing a lot of terrible things on the earth. But after those three and a half years, there'll be another three and a half years of the wrath of God upon the earth and upon the people on the earth. And God would have already have shut the door and already removed the people. This is the type of the church that I really, I'm, I'm imploring with you. Let your church be the the church like an ark, that everybody is going to be taken all at the same time. Where the Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and them that are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and there you shall be with him forever and forever. This is how the church should be depicted. Can anybody say praise the Lord at all? The Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse number 7, very, very obviously, he says, I'm the door. In this, in this rendition, he says, I am the gate. Therefore, Jesus again said, Verily, truly, I tell you, I am the gate, or I am the door for the sheep. And he is the door, and there's no other way of getting to God except through Jesus Christ. I mentioned to the 9 o'clock service, and this is very important, Christians should not have an open mind concerning this. There is no way that a Christian should ever say there are a lot of roads that lead to God. There's only one road. There's actually the most horrendous scripture that is, has ever been written by a holy man. And that is the scripture where God, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that is hated by many multi-denominational people. 
Because there are people that believe that Buddhists are right, Hindus are right, Confucius is right, and, 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 and humanism is right, and Christianity is right as well. This is not true. When they accuse Christians of being closed-minded, and they think that they're the only ones, the answer to that is exactly right. We are right. We are the only ones, and that is Christianity. And that is open for anybody that wants to be a Christian. It's not like a closed group of people that you need a pass to get in. The Bible brings out it's for whosoever may, anybody that wants to be. But Jesus Christ is not hidden behind uh, curtain number one. He doesn't share his glory with anybody. That the only way to God the Father, to the Almighty God, is through Jesus Christ. And anybody sees, the baby even knows that. <clears throat> but, the, but the Bible brings out that anybody that tries to get to God the Father or to heaven, and, except through Jesus Christ, is a thief and a robber. So this is very important, that this door that is shut is really Jesus Christ is the door. Another point I want to bring out, and this is a very severe point, is that the details were given to Noah by God to meticulously put together this, this ark to last one year. Noah's wife could not tell Noah that she could bring this, this ark to a much better appealing looking ark. There's no way that Noah would go to God and says, okay, we, we, we got the details. However, we, we just thought that we would bling it just a little bit. It just has a really drab look about it. That's just us. That's our opinion. And we're more cosmopolitan than most people. And we noticed that you've got these sharp corners. They don't do sharp corners, Lord, anymore. They have rounded off drywall corners. This is better looking, and so we're arranging to change some of your details just a little bit more so as to be a little bit more comely for our family. You understand we want to be comfortable. Noah didn't do that, and neither should the church. When the church receives details about building the church, the Bible says it clearly in Matthew 16 and 18 that he builds the church. And I tell you, Jesus said, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, build my church, build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. God detailed the ark so that the flood wouldn't penetrate into the ark. God is building the church with detail so hell cannot penetrate the church. When you detail the church just like the Lord has set us to do, then it cannot be overcome by hell or Satan. But when we try to change the details, like for instance, what, is, what we're losing in churches around the world is that we remove words that are not growth engines. Like for instance, repent, or sin, the word sin, or altar calls, or challenging somebody, or putting a question in somebody's mind of whether or not they really are saved or not saved. Just the other day, uh, somebody in our church was um, just living like the devil, and uh, the person came up to him and said, are, are you even saved? And I went, whoa, and I got out of there. <laughs> I just walked right out of the room, because that was awesome, but I don't want them to look at me. I didn't want that guy to go, pastor, am I saved? Well, how do I know? What do you think I do this for a living? I don't save people. I try to help you get saved, but I don't, I don't do that. God saves. Everybody say, God saves. But this guy is living like the devil, and, and, and I've told him. I said, you would make such a good preacher, but you're such an unclean man. 
Because he has made changes to the church in his own life. He's made bling changes. He's made adjustments to the design that is not capable of hitting the flood. Too many churches and too many families, their walk with God is a matter of just an umbrella that can handle a drizzle, but it cannot handle a flood. And so when all hell and, and, and high water breaks out, the, the umbrella's not going to help you. You know, the Bible says, how can you keep up with the horsemen when you cannot even keep up with the footmen? You know, Pastor Dwayne was waiting out front for me when I pulled up this morning for the 9 o'clock service. He came out to my car with an umbrella, and unbelievably, it started to rain as soon as he got to my car. And so I got under the umbrella, and I thanked him. We kind of moved in together. It was the perfect arrangement to keep from getting wet from that rain. But if that was a hurricane or a tornado, Pastor Dwayne, you just can keep your umbrella. That is not going to help your eye at all. As a matter of fact, it's going to be one of those Wizard of Oz, and off it's going to go. See, we, what we need is a church, and we need to hear a word in due season. We need to hear the truth, the word of the Lord. I, I kid around with this daydream that, oh my God, what happens if me and my whole congregation, we get left behind? And everybody's mad at me because I've been preaching to them for 16 years. I'm going to have to run because they're going to chase me down. They'll find me because, oh, wait a minute, we thought we, we were listening to, did you tell us everything that we, oh, did you give us a cruise liner? Did you give us an umbrella, Pastor? Because we should have been better prepared. We weren't ready. Just like the ten virgins, five were ready and the other five weren't. I wonder, where are you at right now in your walk with God? Are you holding an umbrella in your life? Or are you sitting in a fortified, stratified ark? Are you ready for the, the, the great flood that is coming? Are you ready for the rapture? Because I would love to see you baptized and immersed in Jesus Christ in a way that you cannot even comprehend. I believe in the sinner's prayer. I like the sinner's prayer. But the sinner's prayer is just the beginning. It just starts you off. It gets you in the right direction. But from there, it's a deep, deep walk with God. As a matter of fact, in the book of Ezekiel, it says, the deep calleth unto the deep. When God begins to call upon your soul and your spirit in a very deep way. Can you say praise the Lord to that? I, I just pray that your details have not been changed. The details of the church is what's going to keep you stratified. It's what's going to keep us all together. One of the original things about the church that I really love so much is the old-fashioned altar calls. The old-fashioned, yes, the old-fashioned hymns. I love your music here. It's it's, my pastor said that there is no better choir, no better ensemble, no better music than Celebration Church. It may be the same, but Celebration Church has got the best music that he has ever heard. You've got great music. <laughs> Amen. And Isaiah and his wife both, they have spread this talent and this understanding of the Holy Spirit into teaching in, his, in the classes that they teach throughout the year that we have assumed at our church as well. We started uh, having a music school as soon as we found out that Isaiah was doing the same thing. So I say that to applaud your music, but what I will say of others that I do feel that we have gone too far, not here, 
But we have gone too far away from center with a lot of our music that we sound too much like the world. I miss the Red Book. Does anybody remember the Red Book? I told my music director, I says, every now and then, throw some hymns in there. Ask, I like that, uh, the old rugged cross. I say, Pat, you know, I know what you're saying, Pastor, we've gotten past the young people that walk out of you. The young people don't walk out. They don't even know it's an old song. <laughs> they were born after the old red book was gone. The old rugged cross, the crimson stream of blood, all these beautiful songs that people wrote back in the 1800s. Many of the black people that were in slavery wrote songs about getting out of here, about that temporary life that they had and that miserable life that they were living. And even the preachers, that uh, ministers that were uh, being missionaries around the world, where they were ministering into different countries, they were in bad situations and they wrote unbelievable songs that ended up in those red books. I think sometimes that our music and our preaching and the way we run church is only to fill a building. But it's not to get the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the key. God wasn't concerned literally about the whole world dying. He was concerned about those eight souls that he was saving. Oh, yes, he wanted to save everybody. It's not his will that any should perish, but everybody come unto repentance. But he does this because of his righteous judgment. I pray in Jesus' name that you realize this. Everybody repeat after me. Build it. Get in it. Stay in it. Let's do it again. Build it. Get in it. Stay in it. This is the whole type and shadow of the ark. Build the ark. Get in the ark. And stay in the ark. There is a problem often that we have Christians that leave the church because they've been offended. They've been hurt. And rightfully badly hurt, where they've been told terrible things maybe, where somebody gossiped, or somebody had a, a terrible story that they lied on somebody else. So they leave the church, and often they leave Christianity. I'm not talking about just one church, and they go to somebody else's church. I'm talking about they leave church completely. This is a very bad thing. The reason for that is because of this cliche, do you want the stink, or do you want the storm? The stink is well, living in the ark. All the waste of those animals for an entire year, shoveling it out. I don't know how they, what they did. I have no idea what they did with all that elephant waste. I don't know what they did with that, that alligator. I don't know what they did. I don't, I don't know what they did, but it must have had a reeking smell in that place. Very much like churches. Churches that is full of gossip, hypocrisy. Yes, it does occasionally have a stench about it. But what is the alternative? To leave the church and to go out into the world? Well, out there is the flood, the storm, and there is no survival out there. So the Lord realizes that in churches, every church around the world, there's no perfect church. You'll never find that perfect church. As a matter of fact, if you're leaving because of that guy behind you that you can't stand, when you go to the next church, that same guy will be in the next church. He just has a different face. Trust me, I've pastored four churches, senior pastors, been an assistant pastor of four churches, but I've also evangelized all around the world. I see the same people wherever I go, but they just look different in their face. I know them. Oh, I know every church has a guy like you. Every church has a woman like you. Every church has a family like you. And oh my God, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> it is the case. You know, Jesus Christ doesn't like it when you say, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. 
Have you ever heard that before? The problem with that is, is what you're really saying is, I love Jesus, but I can't stand his girlfriend. I love Jesus, but I don't like his fiance. I love Jesus, but I can't stand his wife. It's kind of like over Christmas where you call somebody up and say, hey, uh, Michael, I want you to come over to my house and bring the kids. I want you to have a good time. We've got food left over. We just want you to come and we got cake and cheesecake, but there's only one problem. Uh, don't bring your wife. We can't stand her. Could you imagine? Don't bring my wife? What? My, my wife hears that. She goes, who's that? It's the McGillicuddy's. They're inviting us to eat over their house, but they don't want you to come. <laughs> are you going? No, I'm not going. What are you serving? <laughs> you can't love Jesus and not love his girlfriend. You can't love Jesus without loving his fiance. You can't love Jesus without loving the church. So the last thing you want to do is build the church Get in the church, but don't stay in the church. No matter what story you have that somebody has hurt you in the church, I promise you, I can top it. I am the guy that's got that one story in my life that can top every story. And if I told you the story right now, you would not hear anything after that. That would be the consuming thought. But I promise you, it was, it was that bad. And I chose to remain in the church because I could not separate Jesus from his church. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Last but not least, I, I want to say this to everybody, uh, that the, the, the ark didn't have a rudder. It didn't have a steering wheel. It didn't have a sail. They did not have the ability to steer that ark. And that is because the, your future is in the hands of God. That no matter how you're tossed to and fro, He's got his hand over you. And when the waves are lapping up the side of your life and you feel like you're capsizing, just trust me. The ark has been built to cause you to survive. And what he has given the church with all the gifts that should be in this church, there should be nine gifts of the Spirit in this church without having to import them. And I'm not an import. I'm a gift to the church, but I am part of this congregation. I was here since the very beginning uh, when your pastor was starting this church. But every church should have every gift represented here at this house in order for all of us to survive in this ark. This is an ark that's going someplace. This is an ark that's getting ready for a, a very chaotic future. Because why? The time is getting short and Jesus is coming back my question to you is, are you ready? The Bible says that they say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Give the Lord a great big hand clap. Can you do that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's all stand together.